0: Hello and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Extra conversations with Pastor Dave Johnson, lead pastor at River's Edge Church of Sacramento, California. Today, Pastor Dave will dive into the sermon series, Moses Faithful Servant, and answer questions from a fellow guest, Sarah Ortiz, a River's Edge Church member. You'll also hear how God led Sarah through the pain and triumphs of a rare pediatric cancer diagnosis at the age of 21. We're excited to share part two with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. You want to
1: talk about the calendar
2: real quick? Because I actually have a newer answer to that. Okay,
1: thank you. Because, well, one of my questions was, you said that um, the Passover was the beginning of the new year for the Israelites, and in my educated uh, study I was like wait Yom Kippur is the the new year yeah so how is that the new year
2: yeah well specifically it says in the bible that Passover is to be at the beginning of the calendar mm-hmm. like it specifically says that in the text of Exodus so what's happened later after that is that uh the Jews have kind of put put together this uh Liturgical calendar mm-hmm. that is based on two six month cycles, mm-hmm. and okay. so there's kind of like two beginnings to the new year. Oh, that's cool, yeah,
1: yeah, that's pretty cool. It's like,
2: yeah, I want to have two new year, but yeah. only one birthday,
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's like
2: I would be 80 years old right now if I lived under that calendar.
1: I mean, I think I again, I in that I can see some grace of like you get two chances to mm-hmm. become anew and not have to keep your sin dragging along. Yeah, and, and
2: Yom Kippur is an interesting one, too, because, of course, you've got the two scapegoats. Right. And this is not something we're covering in the sermon series, So, but we'll just cover it for for a second here. Um, one goat is for, like, the sin of the sanctuary mm-hmm. and the, the temple and the people and all that stuff. And, well, and the other goat is the offering to as, as Do you mm-hmm. know that? Have you ever heard, read that?
1: I think so. It's
2: Leviticus 16. Okay. I'm pulling it up oh, right yeah, now. Yeah, I
1: see that.
2: In the- um, okay, yeah. Aaron's offer a bull for his own atonement. Where's the goats? Where's the goats? Um. But essentially, there's one goat. Like, and, and the it's crazy because you have to understand this verse in it's in its context, not as we understand it today. We have Mm -hmm. taken Yom Kippur and said, that's Jesus on the cross, which it links up to Jesus on the cross. Like there's some clear connections there. Um, But, uh,
1: it's not the
2: direct thing. It's not the direct thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think the key verses we're talking about here, uh, verses 3 through 10, this is how Aaron is to enter the Most Holy Place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He's to put the sacred linen tunic. He's got to wear fancy clothes. That's, mm-hmm. that's the point, right? Nice. Uh, with linen undergarments next to his body, He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on a linen turban for these are sacred garments. He must also bathe himself with water. I mean, the point is that he has to be clean, right? Like clean of his sin. He has to be physically clean. Like he's going before a pure holy God. He has to be clean. And then he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make Mm -hmm. atonement for himself and his household. Then he's to take the two goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He's to cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Now, um, that word is very uncertain, the word scapegoat. Yeah. We'll talk about it in a second. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as a scapegoat Shall be presented alive before the boor- uh, before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So, the scapegoat mm-hmm. is the word as az- Aziel, I think, is how you say it. Azazel, Azazel is okay. how we say it. Okay. So, this is a very weird word right. in the Hebrew Bible and it's kind of a word for like a demon
3: oh wow
2: right so
3: (laughs) i know you guys can't see this but sarah's (laughs) face was just like what
2: and the idea is to return sin back to its origins
1: oh that's cool
2: yeah so you you confess all your sin onto this goat and send it into the wilderness so yeah it's like you send you send sin back to hell
1: it makes me think of Lord of the Rings when uh, Gandalf. Is no no, tell fight. it, say it, say it. Uh, oh crap! Forgot the creature, but the creature is like, "You shall not pass," and has to send him back. Oh, I forgot that creature though. So yeah,
2: I don't. I don't know. even know. I don't, I don't know, but, but yeah. So like, that's the scapegoat thing is a little bit weird, and um. So that's like, that's cool though. Yeah, yeah, and and it does track with Jesus on the cross, like absolutely, because yeah. there, but, um you know, like there's this whole notion of like transferring sin from people to animals. And then mm, mm-hmm. the sin is gone out of the community. And, right. you know, Jesus got sin- all of our sin transferred onto him. And he went out of the community mm-hmm. onto the cross. You're like So there's there's some clear connections there. But like in the context of this text, mm-hmm. this has I, we got way off New Year. That's um, really <laughs> <about>. <laughs> uh, in the context of this text, though, uh, this scapegoat is this Aziel character. All and right. it's like, what does that mean? And yeah. there's a lot of Second Temple study being done on this right now. So it's like, there's there's a lot to read on mm-hmm. that. Um, it, it's kind of fun. The Bible is, it is layers. It's, it's like a never un- ending onion, mm, yeah. right? It's fun, it's mm-hmm. fun. Um, okay. So. Next question.
1: About goats and sheep. Um, in Exodus 12, Um, this is now the Lord is talking to Moses and Aaron about how to or what to do preparing for the Passover and what to do with a a sheep and a goat and um, in verses uh, Exodus 12 verse 1 through 7 um, it's just describing uh, like the day that they need to pick the lamb and give it to each family member but in verse 6 well, oh, I'm just going to read 5 five, and 6. Um, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So at first when I thought, I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Like, that's what they're going to do. But then I, I was thinking, well, are they, like, what do they mean by take care? Are they, like, just basic, you know, take care of them. Like, watch them, feed them clean them or is it i want you to get attached and then when the slaughter happens you understand what pain of of a, a creature or something close to you having to die for because of you yeah took get that dark that's i was
2: gonna say sarah that's a little sadistic uh <laughs> i i don't think it's necessarily to get attached i think it's to maintain the right. purity of the animal Um, did people get attached to these animals? Probably. Mm -hmm. The very first death we see in the Bible is the death of an animal. Right. And you have to think about Adam and Eve living in perfect harmony with the animals in Genesis 1 and 2 Mm -hmm. before their sin. Nobody – like – Desiree and I talk about this the time. No one ate meat. It, it, yeah. in, no, they
1: did it. no, they didn't. No, they didn't eat meat. They, they didn't had kill. all the fruits and vegetables that they wanted. Yeah. yeah. It,
2: it literally says in Genesis 1, like, humans, you get the seed-bearing plants. I made all that for you. Yeah. And then animals, you get the shrubs and the green grass. Like, you get to eat all that. So, like, you imagine a lion eating green grass. Like that's, Oh,
1: yeah. I was about to ask, do lions eat other animals? But no, they would eat uh, apparently green...
2: in the, Apparently in Eden, lions didn't do that. Oh, okay. You know? and but i think the picture you get there is that nobody lived at the expense of one another. Mm-hmm. So humans didn't live at the expense of animals, all creation lived in harmony together not at their expense. Mm-hmm. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they they saw the real penalty of this. They their nakedness was exposed and God made them clothing. Mm-hmm. But he did this through animal skin. Yeah. And it was like they tried to use the fig leaf, yeah, what they knew out of creation. They tried to cover their own sin and and but only God can cover their sin. So God killed this animal and it should, that's like the first substitutionary atonement. It should have been them. Um, but instead it was these animals. But the idea is that, um, at least there's a Jewish idea that you project your ego onto an animal that mm. you kill. Mm-hmm. That's, this is the Jewish mentality of when doing sacrifices, is that you all of who you are, you project onto this animal, and then you put that to death. Okay. It's a death to self,
3: Gotcha. right? It's like, okay. Paul
2: talks about this, not because Paul's like, oh wow, I'm a Christian now. No, it's because Paul is a deeply rooted Jew, and right. he's probably done this before, and he mm-hmm. really gets it, mm-hmm. right? That, um, that this is what a death to self looks like. That you actually have to put something to death, right? And so, like, you know, I'm sure little kids got attached to these animals. Sure, like yeah. you've got kids, I got yeah. kids. You know, we we had a frog in our backyard the other day, and my daughter, who's 14, was like, "This frog's mine. I'm gonna name it." You know, it's like
1: <laughs> I'm looking at you, like, "Ew, no." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that it, one can go. <laughs> exactly.
2: But also, uh, here's also what I think worship regulation is very important to God Mm -hmm. that is orderly. And especially in the old Testament, I mean, we have an entire book called Leviticus that is literally Mm -hmm. like the way you worship and the way priests work. I don't think, I don't think we look at the book of Exodus as a journal, as Moses live blogging, Mm -hmm. like what happened. Mm -hmm. I think we look at the book of Exodus as like, okay, these are things that Moses passed down and that scribes then took and put into a book. Right. And so they're looking at even this event in light of Exodus 32. Okay. Right. So, like, they already know Exodus 32 right. is coming. It's like you and I were talking before the podcast started about— um, How the
1: how the, were their tablets yeah, in 16? But wait— in, we, we didn't get the 10 commandments yeah. until 20 exactly hey, what about that yeah. what about
2: that exactly it's like the uh, the scribes and the author knew what's coming mm-hmm. and so talked about it but we th- tend to think of things in a linear style um that's how we want our narratives right. we want our narratives in a linear style But Jews oftentimes wrote their narratives in kind of like a circular style. Gotcha.
1: So Mm -hmm. it's a little
2: bit different in the way they wrote their narratives. Especially, this isn't apocalyptic literature, but especially apocalyptic literature is that way. Um, Which, apocalyptic does not mean the end of the world. We'll cover that. We'll cross that bridge. uh, Sometime. Sometime. (laughs) But, you know, like, the goal, when people worshipped, the, their own way Exodus 32 mm-hmm. is like hey we took gold and silver we threw it in the fire and like this bowl just popped out right. and then they they had a festival to specifically the text says they they had a festival to the Lord capital L O R D which mm-hmm. means Yahweh so they had a festival to Yahweh with this whole golden calf thing oh, wow. and so like this whole golden calf deal ended up being like God said here's the way you worship me mm-hmm. and then you know, what do humans do we, we don't pass the test right yeah. they're like yeah. no we're just gonna we're gonna do it our way yeah yeah, yeah. right and, and i think there's this tension all through exodus of like are we gonna do it our way or god's way mm-hmm. um are we gonna go into the promised land as god's covenant chosen people mm-hmm. or are we gonna try and go into the promised land on our own terms
3: right
2: yeah yeah all right what's the next question
1: So the next one is, I believe, still in the Passover, so Exodus 12. Um, And as I was reading along, what kind of caught my eye was um, Exodus 12, verse 11. This is how you are to eat it. So now they've cooked the meat and... Uh, it's been prepared, and this is how they're supposed to eat it. Um, verse 11, this is how you are to eat it. With the cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I I read that, and I was like, why? Why would you do that? Um, again, my brain always wants to connect things, so my my thinking was, well, sadly, the Jewish people have have had to uproot many times so is this a way of like you know what you're not always going to have be able to just sit and settle and you know contemplate this thing you do need to prepare to leave at any moment's notice Mm -hmm. that's where my thinking was but yeah i was like why why would they do that what significance does it have
3: yeah
2: well one i i think that you are right in in terms of like they kind of are always been on the move they Mm -hmm. always have been on the move and especially through the Old Testament, and, and then in seventy A.D. after the New Test, after the destruction of, of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. they're on the move. Um, this is the feast of haste, and, and what God is saying in this Passover meal is that um, is that like basically I'm going to do the fighting here, I'm going to mm-hmm. do the work, and your job is to be ready to act when I work. Mm-hmm. Your job is to be ready to move. And that same phrase, like just to go to the the etymology of the phrase, like what it means, um, the same phrase is used in 2 Kings 4.29. The the same phrase is used um, in Job 47, chapter 40, verse 7. And um, the idea is brace yourself like a man or gird up your loins like a man, Mm -hmm. like a strong man. Um, And so the idea is get ready to run, get ready to fight. Mm -hmm. Um, But the interesting thing about what happens in the Exodus text is that God takes them out there, and it's almost like maybe a precursor even to be strong and courageous Mm -hmm. because he doesn't quite say that just yet when they enter into the land. But it's like if this is a Jewish phrase, meaning be ready to fight, Mm -hmm. it would also kind of like correlate with be strong and courageous. But... um, Of course, God's people get out to the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, however you want to read that text. And they get there and they're like, oh, no, we're going to be destroyed and all this stuff. They're not strong
3: or courageous. They're not strong or courageous. They're not ready to fight. (laughs) But then
2: God comes and fights for them Mm -hmm. and takes care of them. And I think it's just sort of like a posture that you're supposed to take when having this meal because it also helps tell the story Mm -hmm. down the line generations and generations and generations. Right. So I think that's what that is.
1: Yeah. All right. Again, I uh, believe we're still in Exodus 12. Um, Moses says before, um, this is the 10th plague, um, that a destroyer will come. And he used that word oh, on the NIV translation multiple times. And I was told that whatever this thing was, it was either an angel, it was, it was the Holy Spirit. And I was like, what and who is the destroyer? <laughs> for class for clarification.
2: Yeah. Um this answer gets uncomfortable for me honestly. I, I Great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Let's live in that uncomfortability. Yeah,
2: I It's one of the things that you see so they like this destroyer comes and it's like mm. if you've got blood over your doorpost then you're safe from the destroyer. Yeah. And if you don't then your firstborn son dies.
1: Then you'll be destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, then you'll be destroyed.
2: <laughs> but the destroyer also means it's the same word as the angel of the lord that's yeah and that's the uncomfortable thing because like so if you if you're reading guys like michael heiser mm-hmm. and uh well not just heiser but a bunch of theologians um will, will say that the angel of the lord is god in human form in the old testament mm. and so you see many times especially in the book of exodus where you already have seen the angel of the lord um, in chapter three when there's there's a couple of verses we focus on the burning bush the bush the bush was burnt and it didn't go up and like it mm-hmm. wasn't fully engulfed but the the text actually says like right before that the angel of the Lord was standing there mm-hmm. and it's sort of like well what did they see? was it an angel? was it somebody floating? Mm-hmm. What, what was it? Well in many many cases in the Bible when you see, the angel of the Lord. For example, Gideon in the book of Judges is is Judges six. You see Gideon uh, interact with the angel of the Lord. It's very clear that this is like a human like form that they're talking to. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so in Trinitarian study, a lot of people will argue, and I'm actually one of them that would argue, that the angel of the Lord is like a precursor to Jesus. It's Mm -hmm, helping mm -hmm. the Hebrews understand that it is that god can take on human form right
1: that's cool i'm all that's cool i'm also thinking with what you just said like that's a precursor of of jesus of you know these israelites they thought you know the messiah is going to come and he's going to be a warrior and he will destroy he will stop the people who've oppressed them and they you know at that point it was like the romans that they were thinking of but this idea that you know, that could be the precursor of jesus and being called to destroy i know that sounds really dark and bad but it's also in a way like it's comforting to know that you have a warrior in a a sense who will protect you and by showing your signs of devotion to him with the blood over the um the doorway
2: right right so let me uh, if i could i just thought i would read uh, a little bit from this guy, Michael Heiser, mm-hmm. which I hope this doesn't get long or, or boring, but um, yeah, it says, however, the word translated destroyer gives us a clue as to who the destroyer was. The term mashkit, I think is how we say it again, mm-hmm. terrible at Hebrew, uh, is employed in only three passages to describe divine judgment here in Exodus 12, 23, 2 Samuel 24:16 and 1 Chronicles 21, 15. These last two instances describe the same event, the judgment for David's sin carried out by an angel of Yahweh. 2 Samuel 24, 16 through 17a reads, When the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, Yahweh regretted about the evil, and he said to the angel who brought destruction, the destroyer, mm-hmm. among the people, Enough! Now relax. Now relax your hand. Now the angel of Yahweh was at the threshing floor um, of Ariron, the Jebusite. David spoke to Yahweh when he saw the angel destroying among the people. And then Heiser goes on: an identification of the destroyer with the angel of the Lord is also perhaps suggested by Zechariah twelve eight through ten, in the context of the eschatological day of the Lord, as we read. On that day, Yahweh would put a shield around the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the one who stumbles among them on that day will be like David, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of Yahweh before them. And then on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations coming against Jerusalem. I will pour out on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look to me whom they pierced. And they shall mourn over him as one who wails over an only child, and they will grieve bitterly over him who grieves bitterly over a firstborn. The passage, this is Heiser now, the passage clearly identifies the angel with Yahweh who seeks to destroy all the nations coming against Jerusalem and his people. The reference to those who suffer as given over a firstborn is a striking allusion back to the last plague against Egypt and the death angel. That the destroyer is Yahweh's special angel should be no surprise. We've already looked ahead at his appearance to Joshua as a commander of Yahweh's host. Yahweh comes in human form to be among his people and to fight for them, judging those who sought to be his people, his people's enslavement and death. The visible Yahweh would later do the same thing to the enemies like the Assyrians. And if you're interested, That's out of a book called The Unseen Realm, Recovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible, pages 151 and 152. Now, if you're all tracking with me, basically what Heiser is saying is that the destroyer is the angel of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I was just writing in my daughter's Bible. I write in my kids' Bibles, um, like notes as I read the Bible, and I was just reading like a... Crazy judgment text, and right now I can't even think of the address of it. But I was like, "It's actually good that God does judges evil." Yeah. And we don't like to think of God's character as like destroying or hurting anybody. Sure. But the reality is, would God be good if, at the end of the day, He allowed all this evil to exist? Right. That's, so yeah,
1: that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I just wrote that to Lucy, and so Lucy, maybe if you're listening to the podcast, uh, spoil or you know. You have to read your Bible to find out what I was talking about.
1: <laughs> you got to tell me the page where that was written.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay, go, go ahead.
1: Okay, so um, oh, man, I'm pretty nitpicky, but my last question, I believe, was, um, or I maybe mean, not the last question, but um, why in chapter 12, verse 31, it says that Moses and Aaron were summoned at night, but before that, the text says that, Moses to tell the elders that once they enter their homes with the blood painted on them, that they must not leave um, and go out at night. So, um, but in verse 31, Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron. So how come Moses and Aaron can leave the house, but nobody else can? <laughs> yeah, when you when
2: you email me that, I, I looked that up and I literally could not find okay. anything. And like, I... I don't know. I think that's a great question. I think Moses probably had some cosmic hall pass Mm -hmm. that he was allowed to to go out. But there's got to be a good explanation. Um, One, you know, it could just be like a classification of like what do we see as night versus what do the Jews see as night. Um, It could be uh, like it was after midnight. So maybe, you know, even though the next day there was morning, there was night, and then the next day. Right. So like after midnight is kind of considered the next day. So I I have no idea, no clue. (laughs) Let's let's move on.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, All right, so I think this is my last question. Um, It's in Exodus 13, um, the verse is 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. I read that, and I was like, what's with Joseph's bones?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And did they take like, did they take like the full skull t- skeleton <laughs> right? of, yeah. of Joseph or and stuff? One bone. You know? Yeah. They like, you know, weave it together and make it dance or something like that. Oh no, no. that'd be messed up. I don't that,
1: think they would do that. No, no, I, no, no, I, no that no. would be desecrating <laughs> the body for
2: sure. Um,
1: that's y- dark, Dave. No. Okay. <laughs> I have limits. You're too. right.
2: You're right. So Genesis 50, uh, verses 24 through 25, uh, Talks about it. Moses or Joseph says, basically, one day mm-hmm. there's this promise mm-hmm. that uh, we're going to go back to the, our land, the mm-hmm. land that God has given to us. And you know, at that point, things are going really, really well for Joseph in Egypt. And you know, he's he's a ruler. He's ruling over the land. He's number two in command. And and even when he died, it says they gave him his own sarcophagus. And there's people today who, by the way, believe they know exactly where that is. Mm-hmm. Like, And it would make really good sense. It's in Gershom, and it would make really solid sense that they know where Moses' house is. I mean, Joseph's house mm-hmm. Joseph's house is. Yeah. Joseph's house. House. Yeah. <laughs> hard word, yes. hard phrase to say. <laughs> also, just another side note on Joseph. There still is today, if you go to Egypt, a canal that was dug into the the Nile River, mm. called Joseph's Canal. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it's just like, and, and it's funny, people, archaeologists like, oh, no, there's no biblical evidence that the Jews were there. And yeah, I'm there's like, a lot of people who uh, say that. Yeah, there's, there's tons of biblical evidence. Yeah. Like, if you go up to Gershom, there's, there's tons and tons of evidence, and you just have to go examine all the sources. But, um, uh, of course, one of the big issues that we don't talk about at all in this series mm-hmm. is dating these mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. That's a that is a rabbit hole. I don't want to touch with a ten yeah. foot pole. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe this all happened yeah. the way God says it did, but I am not a chronologist. Right. And these guys, I just don't think there's any fruit there. Yeah. These guys who argue chronology, when did this happen? Was it mid? Mid Kingdom late early kingdom late kingdom for pharaohs and when ramsey was in power and all this stuff like when was it who knows right it happened yeah i know that there's a lot of good evidence for it sure sure joseph joseph bones um i don't remember what i told you on all this <laughs> um let's see Why? okay so yeah the israelites believed um in life after death, so mm-hmm. they took very good care of the remnants and and all that because many of them believe, actually believed in yeah. resurrection, so right. they actually did care for these bones and they believed that you were going to be gathered to your fathers right. and that you there was a spiritual body and all this stuff, and so um, it 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 just sort of symbolized this like opportunity to take Joseph back home, um, back to his house and and to experience uh, new life there, right. I guess is really what I was trying to say there. Gotcha. And, and kind of like a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that yeah. all of his kids would be gathered in Canaan. Right. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So I was wrong and I thought that was the last, but we have two more.
2: Okay, let's do it.
1: Okay. Chapter 15, um, 25 through 26. Um, uh, that's where I was like, the God, it says God is testing the Israelites and, uh, I was wondering, is he doing that because he keeps hearing them grumble and they're grumbling like, oh, it's taking forever and I want food and I want water and all that. Um, so is he is he testing them because they're grumbling or is he testing them because he wants to know if they're actually truly obedient to him?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, we, during this section, we had a brilliant guest speaker come, David Holcomb. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard him speak.
1: No, I was I was uh, serving that that yeah, and then
2: our, our live stream also died that oh, day. Oh, so, so that's why it
1: wasn't on... It,
2: it might be on YouTube at this point because okay. we do have a recording of it. But uh, yeah, we had equipment failure <laughs> on the c- computers that day. It was, it was a crazy day. Yeah. Um, it was also like 150 degrees it outside is, that day. Right. I don't know. Yeah. We, had a, we had two ACs fail on us too. They're all back up and running. Yeah. My, that's neither here nor there. Uh, what is the test? So biblically... There is a test starting in Genesis, going all the way through. Mm-hmm. And that really that test is, is your faith in Yahweh, mm-hmm. in the Lord, mm-hmm. or is it in yourself? Mm. Right? Is it, is your, will your comfort determine your faith? Will your having your needs met determine your, what determines your faith?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Does your faith rest on God and he is your rock? And like, that is it. You don't need anything else. Or... Do you need all these other things?
1: That's heavy. Yeah. Because if I'm honest, I'd probably be the latter. Yeah. I mean, the human me, like, oh man, I would like to have some more reassurances, you know? Totally. But I think in my walk with Christ, I've gotten more of the former. (laughs) But yeah, that's that's a hard one.
2: It is a hard one. It is a hard one. And like, I just, and I think that that's the test that you get all the time. Like Abraham had to pass this test to with Isaac, it's like God said, Abraham, you're gonna have a kid, and you're gonna be the father of many nations. And then He's like, go sacrifice your son, and that was the test.
1: Like that's yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, I think so many people uh, we we bash on the Israelites, especially at this time, but I love. Learning about them this time because it's such a reflection of us even still today. Yeah. Like I said, like th- that's a hard question for me today, and I have all this, I have 2020, you know, insight now.
3: Yeah.
2: And it's still hard.
1: Well, and, and
2: yeah, like even for, like we're going about to go through the Ten Commandments, and one of them is is like, don't covet, and <laughs> the, <I> know, <laughs> exactly like we're in such a materialistic society, yeah. like don't covet, like that's you might as well like, be saying don't, don't, don't breathe, breathe. Yeah. yeah, like what are you saying, Lord? And which is what's the fun thing in in the don't covet section is that there's seven things that you shouldn't covet. <laughs> and on this the seventh thing is or anything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't
1: I can't name everything, so yeah. I'm just gonna sum it up here.
2: <laughs> yeah, because like coveting really deeply reflects this desire that you have like, I'll be okay if I just had this. right. Mm-hmm. And
1: it makes me think of the jerk.
2: Oh yeah, see Steve like, Martin. I'll
1: be okay if I just have my briefcase. I don't, <laughs> I don't need one thing. I, I'm
2: not. I don't need one thing. I'm fine. I just need this lamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. <laughs> and then this this paperweight, yeah. and, like uh, all these stupid things. Yeah. And he walks out of the house with them. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, but I think that that's what that uh, is kind of reflecting. It's like, what's the test? Like, do you need food, or am I enough? Like yeah. Jesus. Jesus would literally go through the same thing mm-hmm. 40 days in the desert, no food, and uh, he yeah. didn't grumble, right? And that was his test. And it's like, yeah, you know, not having something in one area, fasting from something like food and water, which mm-hmm. I don't recommend fasting from water yeah, for do, three days. Don't do, don't, that, do that. don't do that. That is not my pastoral <laughs> advice.
1: He is not a doctor, guys. Yeah, I, <laughs>
2: i am one degree away from being a doctor just not the phd not an md not the medical kind (laughs) um yeah fasting from anything exposes your true desires and truly Mm -hmm. who you are and yeah when you when you abstain from something in your life it just exposes a Mm -hmm.
3: lot yeah
2: yeah and and so anyways i think that's the test it's like are are you still going to worship me even without all this stuff and it's like and for god it was like they grumbled they complained and for God to provide for their needs was nothing. It yeah. was like, there's a water will come out of that rock, you'll have as much quails you want to yeah. eat, and there's Enjoy. bread falling from yeah. the sky yeah. literal bread. Don't collect more than you need. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but no, that's what I got.
1: Um, so after you know, contemplating Exodus and all that, as one does, thinking about sacrifice because that's a lot in uh, Exodus, my thinking was um sacrificing an animal before jesus sacrifice did that actually take away their sins or did it just leave like a stain of sin so i'm thinking okay yeah an animal can't replace jesus what he did on the cross so did it yeah did it really take it away or was there like a faint mark on everybody and then once jesus did die on the cross it truly was gone
2: yeah, the word atonement um, is, there's, there's a couple, there's somebody said this, it was a professor at Asbury said this, that um, we should think of it as at-one-ment, atonement. Mm-hmm. It means that we become at one with God, mm-hmm. right? And the atonement of sin um, in the Old Testament made us at one with God. So mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that the Old Testament atonement made them at one with God mm-hmm. until they sinned again.
1: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
2: Our, and our definition, like in, in the Christian church, I think it's pretty common to say, like, oh, you sin every moment in word, thought, and deed. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> um, you know, in the Hebrew mind, that was going to be look a little bit different, like sure. breaking laws. Right. Breaking Torah. Um, and, you know, not observing the Sabbath correctly. Or, you mm-hmm. know, something like that. So sin is going to look different in this context of the Bible than it does right now to 21st century Americans mm. in the church. I know, I know. I'm
1: starting to have some thoughts on some things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then does sin look different in different cultures? No. Okay.
2: No, because God is so like uh, what I'm saying is we need to bend to the Bible. Right. The the Bible doesn't need to bend to culture.
1: Right. And so No, no, no. no. I don't mean like culture. I mean different uh, peoples. Oh. Like so um let's say uh let's we're America shots. like yeah. uh people from Mexico, people from Canada, you know, things like that. Does sin look different in those cultural contexts in their worldview? I get we got to bend to the Bible. Yes, the Bible does not need to bend to us.
2: Okay. So, um, I don't know because I'm not Mexican <laughs> or Canadian, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but what I mean by that is like, in at least in the context of church, mm-hmm. um, we say things like we sin. Every day in word, thought, and deed, mm-hmm. and um, which I I think that that's probably like I think that probably like I have prideful thoughts, mm-hmm. and that's a sin, and I and I think that I probably have like rude words that I've said before to people, and I and I believe that's a sin too. But I guess what I'm saying is like before the new covenant, like if if you were to. Meet with a Jewish rabbi in the first century.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't think they would say they're sinful people. Mm. I think they would say they're the people of God, and that they've been atoned and covered for. And that, yes, there are things that are. They're not like. To, they're not like the you're not like the Gentiles right. who are clearly sinful. Like who are. Yeah. We're living in the covenant, yeah. so like we are actively. Do we have mistakes that we make? Do we? accidentally break torah yes and we need to atone for that mm-hmm. but are we these sinful people that are living like the gentiles worshipping the god pan right. and that, no, no we're not like yeah. them. so so like that's what i mean by like mm-hmm. there's just this different contextual understanding even of gotcha. sin
3: okay.
2: that we have whereas like in the christian church we're all sinners yeah. you know yeah, yeah. and if you were to say that to a first century jew they would have been like <gasps> No, we're not. You know, yeah. we're we're people of the covenant. We've been circumcised. We have the mark of the covenant. Like mm. th- that, I just don't think that they would agree with that gotcha. s- sentiment of twenty first century American Christianity. Right. Yeah. Is all I am saying.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, but to an- to go back to your core answer, yes, there is a difference between a covering for sin, mm-hmm. like an atonement for sin, and the the New Testament word is justification. Uh, being found not guilty before God mm-hmm. right and being covered once and for all in the book of hebrews um you know the the author of hebrews is like jesus doesn't need to die over and over and over mm-hmm. again like you're covered for your sin like right. you're you're cleansed from your mm-hmm. sin so i think the the good term here is the difference is the difference between being covered for your sin by the blood of an animal mm-hmm. versus being cleansed By your sin. By Jesus Mm -hmm. and his blood. His perfect atoning sacrifice. And so I've got some different verses. So like Exodus 30. Once a year Aaron shall make atonement on its horns. And the annual atonement must be made with blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It must be holy to the Lord. So like why is Aaron to make this annually in Israel for every year after that? Because sin keeps happening. Mm -hmm. They're not like the Gentiles, mm-hmm. so they're not, so like it's a different mindset. They're right. people of God's covenant, but they still need atonement. Mm-hmm. And then for us, um, 2 Corinthians five twenty one, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that he would be made right with God through Christ. Um, Titus 3, 5, he washed away our sin and gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit 1 John 2.2, he is a sacrifice for our sins. He takes away not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Revelation 12.11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives as much to shrink from death. Um, so th- that just means mm-hmm. that the blood of the lamb overcame yeah. the world. Uh, Romans 3, this one's famous, I saved it for last. Romans 3, 22 through 23. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So I hope I explained that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, is there anything else that... You no. want to stump me with or is that it for today? <laughs> I think that's it for today.
1: Okay. I'll come back with another list.
2: <laughs> I, I think the moral of the story is if you email me a bunch of questions, you're going to be asked to be on a podcast <laughs> and you're going to be asked to, to work this out uh, back and forth. So Sarah, thanks for coming yeah, on today. absolutely. Thanks for having me. I had a ton of fun and I'm glad we did this. Awesome. All right. So check us out every Sunday at 10 a.m. Join us. And as we continue the, the book of Exodus, we will talk to you soon.
0: Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church podcast. Extra conversations with Pastor Dave Johnson and guest Sarah Ortiz, River's Edge Church member. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's podcast. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of REC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.